there. You're listening to the Only Schoolers podcast. I'm Gina Prosh, and hanging out here with me as always is my co-host, Kristen Edwards. And I'm so glad you've joined us for the Only Schoolers podcast. It's always exciting to see so many of you listeners, both new and old, joining us for each new episode as it drops on your podcast platform of choice. Whether that's iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Stitcher, or another source, we're there. Thanks. Also, anytime you drop a tag on social media or mention us in your local or social media homeschool groups, check out the Only Schoolers handle on Facebook and Instagram. We really love seeing our Only Schoolers community grow, especially since it's the beginning of a new homeschool year. I know. I cannot believe it's the first Thursday in August, which means it is back to school time. Now, September and I got started probably back around mid-July, we were finishing up our geometry, getting going kind of with history and literature, because we we like to start slow to the year. And I am starting my very last year of homeschooling. So now, in little less than 10 months, I will have a graduated senior. Yay! Uh, (laughs) But life will certainly be looking different for me at this time next year. So with that as a background, Before we start on today's podcast, let me say for the record that there are two old cliches that have become cliches because they are true. So which ones are you talking about? The first one is the days go slow, but the years go fast. That one is really true with kids and especially true with homeschooling kids. I mean, there were days I thought the day would never end and I prayed for bedtime and whoosh, All of a sudden, a year's gone by, and that day shows up in my Facebook memories, and I wonder what happened. So can you relate to that? Oh, so much. It especially hits me, like you said, with the Facebook thing, and then the memory is tagged as 10 years ago, and I'm like, what just happened? What? (laughs) I have such a vivid memory of this particular day at the park. I mean, like down to what September might have been wearing and what we said, and then to realize that it was 10 years ago, it just blows my mind. I, it seriously does seem like yesterday to me. So th- I definitely agree with that cliche. What's your next one? This one is for anyone with kids getting ready to start high school or if you're in the middle of high school. Life, or in this case, homeschool life, is like a roll of toilet paper. The closer you get to the end of the roll, the faster it all goes. <laughs> so Kristen, last fall, you were all mellow, thinking about starting high school with September. But by the end of this year, she will be a rising junior and you will only have two years of homeschooling left. So, you know, it's like the old Johnny Cash song, keeping your eyes wide open all the time because We really are walking a line, and the line goes straight to graduation. Thanks. Now I'm all tense again. No, seriously. (laughs) But it's funny that you say that because that's kind of been a recurring bit at our house over the last few weeks. September will walk around saying, how am I a sophomore already? And I'm like, I don't know, but you are. I literally spent one morning recently at the computer Googling art schools, studio art programs. What are the requirements? Where's the schools? And to me, that line to graduation, and I know you'll get this analogy, it kind of feels like I'm driving on I-80 out to Wyoming. And that road ahead looks really long, like you've just got miles and miles to go. 
but you start watching those little broken lines, you know, in the middle of the road and they start whizzing by super fast and you realize you're going to reach the end of the highway a lot sooner than you thought. I know. And it's crazy to wrap my head around it all because it really doesn't seem like it was that long ago. He was starting out his freshman year. He got his learner's permit. But then the next year he got his driver's license. Last year he got a part-time job. And already I can see him chomping at the bit, looking forward to what comes next. So, I mean, I expect my emotions to be on something of a roller coaster ride this year as I get hit by the feels with, you know, senior pictures and save the date postcards and more Facebook memories and things like that. But, you know, it's weird. We started this homeschool journey all those years ago on a wing and a prayer, hoping it would somehow all work out, hoping he would learn how to read and do math and write sentences. And we did it. And I don't know exactly how we did it. Maybe that's one of life's great mysteries. In the end, we trusted the process and somehow it all has worked out. And it sounds like this is just the right time to be discussing our two M words for this episode, which are up for discussion today. We are talking moodiness and mystery. So which one should we start with, do you think? Uh, since we're both women of a, a certain age and parents of teenagers, um, I'm voting for moodiness. <laughs> <laughs> moodiness, moodiness it is. Um, and as always, we are not talking about, it's not manipulative, emotionally abusive, people who use a bad mood or the threat of a bad mood as an emotional club. I'm going to be a pain in the us until I get my way kind of thing. This is your garden variety, run-of-the-mill moodiness. So now that we've taken care of that public service announcement, where do you want to start? Okay, well, I'm going to flex a little bit here. I already just did there and show off my knowledge of hip teen lingo. So consider this your urban dictionary word for the day. So did you know that saying mood means I get that or I relate to that? I hadn't heard that. <laughs> I know, right? I didn't know it either at first, but you know, I have a teenage girl, so I pick up these things. So for instance, if September and I are trying to think of something to fix for supper and I'm like, oh, I'm not really hungry for anything in particular. And she'll go like, mood. And I think there's something very connective about that. As adults, I mean, I know I know, I do. We kind of like to mock the, young, the younger generations, the way they talk and stuff. But really, in some ways, they've circumvented a lot of the extra white noise and just kind of honed in on that real point, which is making a connection. So saying mood is to simply say, yep, I know what you're feeling. I know what you're thinking, you're saying. Without getting too introspective about it, it's just kind of that shorthand for, yeah, I get you. I think maybe if we used it more, maybe our actual moodiness would lighten up knowing that someone shared that. Because I think as adults, we like to pretend that we've got our act together. And it's the kids who are the ones who are moody. That's just not the case, though, because we all have moods, kids and adults. Yes, we all have moods. And I don't know about you, but there have been plenty of times I've just woken up on the wrong side of the bed, you know? Um, and then there's the day everything's going along peachy keen and then all of a sudden something will go sideways and I'll find that I'm as crabby as Lucy Van Pelt. So how about before we dive deep into the moody broody, we just take a moment to encourage all of us to give one another that little bit of grace when it comes to moods, both our moods and our kids' moods. Yeah. I mean, okay, I'm going to reach back. Um, I think it was our episode about grace back in early May. 
And I remember saying then that we each, as a parent, as a child, we each get to make our own mistakes in this really radical homeschool lifestyle that we're living. And we have to be ready to forgive and be forgiven for any of those mistakes. Because grace means it's okay to say there's no reason this, whatever is causing this mood, whatever it is, it doesn't happen today. It doesn't have to happen today. And Gina, I think you had a really great Anne Lamott quote at the time. Oh, yeah. Um, I do not understand at all the mystery of grace, only that it meets us where we are, but it does not leave us where it found us. And I am so thankful for that. You know, showing grace can really, really help the moods when they hit. There are times when the morning comes too early or the afternoons get long and moodiness it can kind of become this chicken and egg sort of thing. Um, say the parent is, for whatever reason, grumpy. But before too long, the kids are grumpy too. <laughs> or other times, you know, like the kids are crabby and then the parents get dragged along for the ride. But either way, when everyone in the house is a moody mess, it's really just not a good thing. So when I started thinking about this episode, I came up with a list of things that affect the mood at our house. You'll probably have a different list because of your house. That's the way homeschool works. But as you said earlier, we are both women of a certain age, and it's not just kids going through hormonal changes in puberty who can experience moodiness. I mean, we talked about that in our episode on growth, but there, there are things like the weather or feeling under the weather inside being hungry. I mean, I talked about that a couple of shows ago, being sleep deprived. If there's somebody out there who's homeschooling with a newborn in the house. Yeah. Okay. And what about watching your kid get kicked in the teeth with the reality of life that that brings on a mood dealing with a dream deferred, a dream denied, or my favorite waiting for a service. I'm looking at you, Mr. The repairman will arrive between the hours of noon and five. I hate that message. But then the question becomes, when someone at your house is in a bad mood, what do you do about it? And don't you think it kind of depends on what's causing the moodiness? You know, it becomes like the serenity prayer, the things you can change, the things you can't change, knowing which one is which. If it's something that can be changed, then the trick is to recognize that and then absolutely change it. For instance, like I talk about the fact that I get hangry, hungry, angry. So if it's late afternoon and I feel myself becoming edgy, agitated, easily upset, if I get something to eat, that is guaranteed to help my mood. But if the mood in the house has taken a nosedive and it's something that I can't do anything about, like it's snowing and the plans got canceled, then it's more of a case of I can't change the situation, only my reaction to the situation. Then there are things like being moody because I'm overcommitted, and sometimes cutting out those commitments is a super positive, beneficial change, but there sometimes it takes a while to see the effects. So that's kind of a general overview. What about you and Shay Edwards? What do you do there? Mostly, I just have to own it really loudly out loud. I just have to get it out so I can deal with it. So I do. I talk out loud to myself and I, I repeat myself and it just I just have to have this ongoing verbal out loud monologue. September is not a fan of this tactic, but I just have to state the obvious. I'm just like, you already said that. Yes, I know. Just let me keep saying it until I figure it out. I just have to keep stating it rather than grousing about it under my breath or stomping through the house or throwing things around. Because for me, once I've released this mood, once I've kind of get the words out and start talking about it, it lightens it up on the inside. 
or maybe just hearing it voiced out loud makes me realize a how petty the problem really is or how petty the mood is or b how easily it could be resolved so kind of a is this something i can change that's kind of for my low stakes moodiness though you've got a moodiness scale oh absolutely <laughs> i'm extremely organized over here yes Having my moodiness scale kind of keeps things in perspective. And I think that in itself is a good way to start dealing with a mood. Talking out loud, handing out hugs. Sometimes we just go on a sonic drink run. Just those little small resets. Now that can help curb the, ugh, I just hate everything today moods that one of us might get into. Now, if it's a higher stake, I need to vent before I explode mood. That requires a much more drastic measure. I own my eccentricity more and more as I get older. So for the super high stakes moods, I've been known to write a note and set it on fire. I mean, I've been known to take a glass or a piece of pottery and throw it outside against the brick patio wall. It's primitive, but it, it does the trick. It's just when nothing else has helped to trigger a reset, sometimes just that explosiveness, um, just that over the top of it really does help. And then then I think I can get to a place where I can breathe slowly and I can do some slow breathing. I can do some deep breathing. I can do some quiet mindfulness. I mean, I always joke that I am going to have the best chapters when September writes her memoir someday. <laughs> it's like my crazy mother. But so cough up some specifics when the emotions are running high and moodiness hits your house. Okay, so if I'm honest, at least at first, at the age why it is right now, which is 17, I try to ignore it and maybe it'll go away on its own. <laughs> Does that make me a terrible person? No. <laughs> if you are, I'm right there with you. I do think teenagers need to figure out how to handle their moods without a ton of our input. I mean, obviously we're here as needed, but I think lovingly ignoring them also gives them space and lets them know that we trust them to figure out what to do. You know, honestly, I try I do I try not to get all jazzed up about a mood because I can get my Susie helpful on, which isn't really all that helpful at all in the end, because I run around throwing a bunch of gas on a fire when that fire would have gone out on its own in a half an hour if I'd have just shut up. Um, I've got my own stuff to deal with without getting wrapped up in somebody else's. So if White is moody, but he's willing to take his crabby mood outside and not inflict it on me, you know, that's really okay. He can go for a walk, ride his bike. And let me say, nature works wonders for moods. Usually he comes back in the house in a much better place mentally when he, than when he left. You know, oh, I saw a bird. I saw this. I saw that. It just shifts something in him. But that is a way different reaction than what I would have had when he was younger. So has age changed the way you deal with September's moodiness? Yeah, it has. I mean, as a child, she needed a lot more help to regulate emotions. I mean, most kids do. Because when you break it down, that's really what mood is. It's difficulty regulating your emotion. So when she was younger, it was a lot of validating feelings, figuring out how to have big feelings, lots of hands-on. And I know you'll agree with me when I say that Julia Cook's books are so good for this. We own quite a few of them, and they were well used. Oh, they are absolutely great for that. And if you are unfamiliar with Julia Cook, she is a former school counselor turned award-winning children's book author, and she has put her talent to work creating stories that help kids work through some big stuff. 
Um, she's actually a client of mine and I just love her to death. So we will drop a link to Julia's website here in the show notes. Honestly, I think that groundwork laid when she was a child has helped in mood regulation as a teenager. She's got some good tools in her mood kit, and a lot of that is due to Julia Cook's books. So now it's more of me acknowledging that there's something going on and offering her space if she wants it, or a spot on the couch next to me if she needs that. Sometimes a good workout at the Y boosts the mood, and there's always the occasional sonic drink run that that definitely helps. I think there was a psychotherapist, um, Virginia Satter, who claimed that we need four hugs a day to survive, eight hugs a day to maintain ourselves, and 12 hugs a day to grow. And I am telling you, there are days when we absolutely max out on those numbers. But let's go back to what you said about this is being different than when Wyatt was younger. So how so? Well, when he was younger and he was moody, kind of like you in September, I did more to help him figure out exactly what he was feeling that was coming out as moodiness. And it's been some of the things we listed off before, like how long has it been since he ate something? Does he need a nap? Have we been out on the run doing errands and he is just peopled out? I mean, I sometimes see frazzled parents with kids during that after work, five to six o'clock at night time frame, And it's clear mom or dad has had a long, hard day. But instead of going home, they're at the store for something. And when I see a kid approaching meltdown mode, I always think, oh, man, you guys need to go home more than you need that bag of Doritos or a bottle of shampoo. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Oh, yeah, I can totally relate, especially as a single mom, because there were times when I absolutely had to do something. But I could tell that any activity was going to tip that mood balance from we're doing really good here to, well, that was a bad idea really quickly. But without having anyone that I could tag in, I mean, I had to make the choice. Do I really need this right now or can it wait? It is surprising how often it can wait, especially if it's a bag of Doritos. (laughs) But it's also surprising how often that if I just explained the situation to her, we could make it happen. I think there's a hesitancy to deal straight with kids sometimes, or maybe it's just this idea of, well, I'm the parent, so we're going to do what I say. I didn't really have that luxury because I didn't have anyone to tag in or out with. I just, it was the two of us. So more than asserting my parent role, which typically is disastrous if moodiness is involved, I focused on the, we are a family and we can work this out. So there were times when, I, when I'd when i say, I know this isn't your favorite thing. And I know we'd both rather just hang out here, but, and then try to explain why the thing needed to happen. If I want to maintain a general good mood, then I think communication is the best way to make that happen. So maybe it's the single mom thing. Maybe it's the only child thing. But really, the keys to a balanced mood at our house have been lots of grace and open communication. It started when she was a kid, and that's really just the way I've carried it on into the teenage years. But as kids get older, just like ownership of education is a real thing, so is ownership of emotions. I mean, like I said, I think I have a tendency to step in too soon to hover and fuss and try to make everything better. And if we as parents always do the heavy lifting to mediate their moods, kids don't learn that they can help themselves to feel better. So during that tween phase of life, if White was frustrated with a project or a math problem or whatever, 
I would be more apt to help by suggesting why not go outside or take a break and ride your bike up and down the lane a few times. Basically give an opportunity to blow off some steam and give kids a chance to sort out moods on their own. And so, like I said, now he knows to go take a walk or a bike ride or whatever. And I mean, I learned long ago the benefits of rage cleaning. Like sometimes if I'm really angry, I'll start in the bathroom and work off my mat with a scrub brush and some toilet cleaner. <laughs> in fact, it's it's like a family joke that I'm if I'm suddenly cleaning, the guy should just stay out of my way because I'm probably in a mood about something. And for me, that's better than a bike ride or a walk because I'm still able to burn off that angry energy. But in the end, I get a really nice smelling bathroom or a clean kitchen. Have you ever rage cleaned? I have not. Um, it's not my go-to. But honestly, I'm thinking now I should get myself in a good, bad mood really soon because my, my pantry should really be tackled. <laughs> <laughs> what is it that Joyce Meyer says, though? If you're fighting moodiness or depression... You don't want to hang out with a bunch of other moody, depressed people. And I would also add to that statement, if I'm feeling moody, really wallowing in it doesn't help. And that's why I've learned that there are activities that can help me shake off the moodiness. Um, you know, quilting, crocheting, both of these actually have real live uh, therapeutic benefits because it's a repetitive motion kind of thing. You've got to focus on it but you don't have to think about it. If there's nothing I can do to change the fact that it's blizzarding outside, doing handcrafts really affect a change. My, my quilt gets more quilty, my afghan gets larger. And so even though I can't affect the weather, I can affect the size of what I'm working on at home. Any activity that makes me feel better than sitting around moody and broody and moping, I'm all over that. In the end, I just saw this, this really great line from author John Green, quote, People are moody, dude. You got to get used to living with people. <laughs> I mean, that's so true, though. All people, every single one of us, we are weird. We are moody and nobody is happy all the time. One of the great mysteries of life, I think, is that we actually manage to get along as well as we do. Absolutely. And you have said the magic word mystery. So, yes, folks, it's now time for homeschool mystery theater. <laughs> I'm feeling like we need some squeaky door effect or some creepy organ music in the background. When I was a kid, you know, we never watched those spooky old mystery movies. I mean, we watched stuff that had thrilling moments. Like uh, I remember the old Disney escaped which, which mountain wizard of Oz, things like that, but nope, no scary movies. My parents didn't like them. So they just really weren't on our radar, but I know you love old movies. So I am guessing horror movies and creepy thrillers are included in that. Oh yes. I absolutely love all of those old universal monster movies. If you haven't watched them, they're, they're just so wonderful. Um, and then there were all of those uh, Vincent Price movie adaptations of Edgar Allan Poe stories, that, that kind of thing. One of my favorite Vincent Price movies is this 1959, um, it's a campy supernatural thriller called The House on Haunted Hill, where Vincent Price's character, he's the, this super eccentric millionaire, agrees to pay $10,000 to anybody who manages to spend the night in this creepy haunted house, and they selected this group of people. And now that I think about it, you know, that's kind of a metaphor for homeschooling. <laughs> You're trapped in a house with other people. There are unexpected terrors that pop up when you least expect it. And if you survive, you get a prize at the end. <laughs> I think today, though, it would have to be a lot more than $10,000. <laughs> 
But I guess as homeschoolers, our terrific prize at the end is a graduated student. Ready, capable, heading out on their own. And honestly, that is definitely a prize that's worth working for. Although the $10,000 would be nice. But speaking as someone who's, you know, in the middle of your very last back to school season with a homeschooler, I'm going to toss this one back into your lap. What's your biggest homeschool mystery? When I was a little bitty kid, I remember Neil Armstrong stepping foot on the moon and I watched it on our black and white television. And my mom was telling me how important it was that there were actually two men standing on the surface of the moon. And we went outside and she pointed up and I looked and looked. I just knew I could see them up there walking around, you know, but my entire life, the magic of men walking around on the moon has been this great symbol of human achievement. And Neil Armstrong, the very first person to set foot on the moon said, mystery creates wonder and wonder is the basis of man's desire to understand. And I think for me, that is in a nutshell, the biggest best and most important mystery of homeschooling. From the time why it was little, we explored the mysteries of the outdoors. And please, again, if you're homeschooling, get your kids outside because it is a magical place with no end of mysteries. There are always things that are so wondrous, you know, spider webs with dew on them on summer mornings, frost crystals on the windows, mole runs in the front yard, rainbows in the sky after a thunderstorm, cats acting really, really weird. But those moments, they lead to all of these conversations and all of these lessons where school didn't seem like school at all because it started with, oh, I wonder what that is, or I wonder why that is, or how do you think that works, or wonder where that leads. You know, another famous scientist, Stephen Hawking, said, it is very important for young people to keep their sense of wonder and keep asking why. And I think that's because as human beings, we're programmed to be curious. We're programmed to seek things out. It's just in our DNA, we have this huge need to understand the world around us. Oh, and in the process, we come up with all sorts of crackpot ideas on how the world has worked. You know, everything from an Earth-centered universe to a flat Earth to turtles all the way down. <laughs> And we keep coming up with better, more scientifically provable answers. And everything Wyatt and I have studied together over the course of our homeschool experience has been about that desire to understand, regardless of the subject, just to understand more about the world. And once you spark a kid's curiosity, let them smolder for a while and give them the opportunity to catch fire. Then maybe throw a few small twigs and kindling on, little bits of information you know, toss those on the fire when they're younger, because you don't want to snuff it out by doing too much or pushing too hard. I mean, that'd be like the equivalent of tossing on a huge log or blowing the flame out. After that fire of imagination and curiosity is burning, toss on sticks that are a little bit bigger, give the fire a little more air. That's what we usually call unscheduled time. And, you know, by the time high school arrives, they're chucking logs on that fire right and left. I guess it's kind of an unschooly answer, but I really believe that the more connected you keep your kids to the real world, the easier it is to keep the sense of mystery alive. Keeping that sense of mystery alive helps kids engage, want to learn more, and understand about the world they live in. So that was a long answer. What about you? What's your biggest homeschooling mystery? Well, it's a good answer, though. Lots of stuff to chew on in there. Um, 
I would have to say that my biggest homeschool mystery is no matter how much I think I know about anything, about a subject, about my daughter, about especially myself, there's always so much more to learn. All the clues are around me every day. I just have to follow them to the end. I mean, I'm 50 years old. You'd think I'd know myself, right? And for the most part, I do. I've definitely grown into myself, but there's something about the practice of homeschooling itself that leads me to uncover more truths about who I am and what I value. Because for me, homeschooling has kind of been like this never-ending liberal arts education. I loved college. I loved it. I loved the learning. I loved the prepared lessons. I loved the lectures. I loved the vibe of community, the discussions. Oh my gosh, I loved the discussions, just sitting around and talking about just anything for so long with other people. And where else but college are you constantly questioned about your place in the world? I mean, I know there are other places, but it seems like for those years, it's like a recurring theme all the time. And that's kind of what I've been trying to create in our homeschool, this idea of questioning who we are, why we're here, and using literature and history and math and science to connect all those dots and solve that mystery, or at least a good go a good ways down the path to solving it. As I said, I, we didn't grow up watching old mystery shows, but man, I read. I read Nancy Drew. I read Bobsy Twins. I read Agatha Christie. I love Agatha Christie mysteries. I just loved trying to find all the clues and figure it out before the end. Now, was I always successful? Nope. But a good mystery will keep you on your toes. It'll keep you mentally alert trying to find those answers. And that's the same for homeschooling, am I right? Oh, absolutely. We have to stay on our toes and stay alert all the time for our kids. And a good mystery will really keep you involved with the storyline. And I think that's the same with homeschool too. I mean, where else could I be this involved with creating a relationship with my daughter while also continuing to challenge ideas about myself? So someday when she's graduated, I'll get to marvel at the, the idea that we solved this mystery of homeschooling together. I mean, the classic whodunit, it'll be answered. We did it. And in the end, isn't one of the mysteries how well homeschooling works for kids? Oh, Definitely. You know, when I was teaching at the college, I would sometimes see college applications and they were from homeschool kids. And I remember thinking, oh, gee, what a bunch of weirdos teaching their kids at home. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't have the foggiest notion of how people are going to teach math or science or all these classes to their kids and have them learn all this different stuff. And to me, at that time, I don't know, it was just really kooky or crackpotty. It seemed like such a big undertaking. But as I watched those homeschooled kids when they came to the college, they got financial aid, they got scholarships, they went to classes, they had friends, and these kids were so interesting and directed with their learning. It was over a period of time that I realized, yeah, they may be weirdos, but you know, they're my kind of weirdos. So one of the mysteries about homeschooling is just how well it works. When you have a homeschool parent who is willing to dedicate their life, their one short, precious life, to seeing that their offspring get the education that is absolutely best suited to them and they're flourishing, it is simply an incredible thing to be a part of. And for a couple of book lovers like us, it's also a mystery in that classic sense of Robert B. Parker, Sherlock Holmes. You know, as homeschool parents, we are actively involved secondary kids in our stories, and we don't know exactly how it's all going to turn out. 
It's kind of like I said before, we are totally involved in the storyline, trying to figure out the clues with them. And our lives are the ultimate mystery. And when you do run into problems, because you will, because every homeschool parent does, you will find solutions. Just be patient with yourself and with your kids. Give yourself permission to take the time you need to find the solutions to your problem. What is it that you're always quoting from Julie Bogart? Uh, there are no educational emergencies. So very true. So last word on mystery, trust the homeschooling process. Yes, trust the process. Because like any detective, you just have to believe that following the clues will unravel the truth. And the truth is, honestly, no matter how big a mystery homeschooling seems, and believe me, it's, it's still a mystery to me some days about how I can manage to educate my child. But I'm going to go ahead here. I'm going to turn to the last page of the book and I'm going to spoil the ending for you. No matter how big the mystery of homeschooling is, it all works out. And it's the best adventure you'll ever have. We don't have to read about an exciting life. We're living it right now. So listeners, I hope that something we said today got you thinking about the way that moodiness can affect you, can affect your kids, affect everybody as you homeschool, because people are moody, dude. And hopefully we've helped you feel a little bit more at ease with the mystery of homeschooling. Please let us know if you have any questions about these topics or if any of the other words that we've talked about so far this year. We're getting quite a homeschool vocabulary here. And yes, please do reach out with your questions. You can always find us on Facebook and Instagram with the Only Schoolers handle in both places or email us at onlyschoolers at gmail.com. Our website is also onlyschoolers.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting us financially. There are some monthly expenses associated with keeping up the podcast and all our back episodes. Um, so anything you could do would help. And pop on over to the Etsy shop, grab some fun Only Schoolers stuff as you head back to school. And thanks so much for listening today. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with the letter N. No doubt about it.